It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to the latest Strange Boat podcast. I'm Keith Arthur, and my latest shipmate is a young lady I first met as a tight line young angler of the month winner. Her boundless enthusiasm and desire to learn more about her fishing impressed me enormously that day, and I'm delighted to say her career as a match angler has blossomed, culminating, so far, in a triumph in the Ladies' National Championship and a resulting place in the final of Fishermania, recognised by many as the domestic pinnacle of the sport. Welcome aboard, Sarah Taylor. Hi, Keith. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Oh, you're welcome. It's good to see you. We seem to bump into each other at various occasions, normally at Cudmore, at Hayfield, at Fisho. And mm. this year, you're in the big people's match. Yeah, so it's a bit of a step up from the last couple of years. Um, just going from competing for a grand to two and a half grand, and now going for 50 grand. <laughs> so it's a yeah. bit of pressure. But yeah. But you've not done bad at the um, at the ladies' matches, have you? No, I've got a I've got a pretty decent track record. <laughs> yeah, yes, you, you that, that's that's for sure. So back, to, if we can just step back a bit now, go back to the beginning before I even met you at uh, at, at mm. Barston, weren't we? That's right. Yes. Um, when did you start fishing? Did did you sort of inherit it from your dad? Because I know he's an extremely keen and very competent angler. Yeah, so my dad used to do a lot of um, big fish fishing, so not just carp, but like all different species. Um, and he used to take me um, on trips with him. Um, so I used to, he used to just give me like a float rod and then some maggots and just kind of like get on with it, catching the silvers and just kind of left me to it catching. And then obviously I've picked it up from there, really enjoyed it. Um, and when I was 10 years old, he actually made me fish my first match to experience the competitive side of fishing and I absolutely loved it I've always been quite competitive so it was like hand in hand really the love of fishing with the love of com competitions and it just kind of blown up from there really it's really it's interesting that isn't it I mean I, I found 
Um, I mean, I was brought up in an area where there were some big fish, but nobody ever fished for them because they were deemed as uncatchable. Um, I'm a couple of generations in front of you, don't forget, and, and carp were things of, of, <laughs> of myth. And before Richard Walker caught Clarissa, um, I was I was dangling a rod. Um, so it, it was very different then. And, and I, after a time, I found fight, just catching the fish was a bit too easy, but catching the fish, trying to catch more than the other people, um, became more exciting. And although there were you know, very, very few matches then, I didn't fish a match until much later. I did always fancy, you know, he's got five, I'm gonna see if I can catch six now, that kind of thing. So yeah. I, I can understand where your your competitive streak comes from. How long ago was it we, we, we met at Barston? Do you remember the year? I think, I think it was 2011. And who did you fish with that day? Was it Alan Scottle? It's Des Ship. Des Ship, that's right. Mm. And, and you were sort of trying to push him off his box as much as possible. And and but it, what a, what a person to learn from. Unbelievable, it's Des. I mean, he. I had one of the best days skimmer fishing I have ever had with Des. He taught me so much from feeding to how to present your rig right to just like it truly was like because I was so young it was such an eye-opening day just the amount of stuff that I learned and I took it with me and used it in my own sessions obviously and just the way it improved me was just phenomenal it was it was really massive eye-opening day yeah, skimmer fishing is quite different from most other branches of the sport people say oh they're bringing they don't fight very much and, and usually they don't but there's definitely techniques to land them faster and lose less uh, and, mm. and I noticed Des that day keeping the pole really, really low and shipping it right back and keeping it parallel to the water. And then at the last minute, fishing the net because he's, I mean, he's lightning with carp and, and with skimmers. Yeah. He was really quick and, and barely a fish drops off the way they do it. And, and once you, you see what's happening, like you, like you obviously did that day, and pick it up, it makes such a difference. And of course, at Fish Show at Hayfield, uh, when, when you won that with skimmers, didn't you? Yeah, the ladies' fish mania. That was twenty nineteen. Yeah. That was yeah. That was all skimmers. Um, it was bec- it was it was because we were down the end of the lake where I'd been in practice and not many carp showed down that end for some reason. I don't know why they just didn't. Um, so, but what I did realise was a lot of the skimmers were kind of in that area and they were in there in numbers on every peg because um, when I went down to practice I wasn't just fishing on one peg I'd try and fish like three or four of the pegs that would be in um, so when I found out that was a common theme I just kind of went well let's go down the skimmer you know if we can get them going and, and the decent stand ones as well a decent weight of them might just be enough to sit, to clinch it if the carp aren't feeding and luckily it, it was It's much easier to catch fish that are there than fish that aren't there isn't it? Yeah, exactly, and and skimmers when they when they come in to feed, you know, they feed in numbers. So it's yeah. it's really a game of just just catch as many as you can, really. Big shellfish. Yeah. Go, going mm. back to that that um, young end of the month, Dan. Just after that, were, were you actually fishing competitive matches then? Uh, yes, I think I was. Yes, because I was in. I remember the video um, that went up on uh, was it the Drennan YouTube channel? Because it was the Drennan. Yep tight lines day um, right. I remember I wa- when I when I watched it I was in my Cheshire um, angling uh, top so I was yeah. fishing for the Cheshire team at the time so I must have been fishing competitive junior matches so 
back then there was a lot more leagues and things like that so you could fish in a junior team and it wasn't like uncommon so you're fishing like the njas which was the national junior angling association and the cadge which was the cheshire angling development group and yeah i remember martin james was the um was our uh coach and things like that so yeah it was it was very much a, a team-based um junior thing which to be fair isn't isn't kind of around that much anymore because um unfortunately the both the leagues folded um but yeah i was fishing the junior leagues quite a bit back then that's quite a surprise because I would have thought there were probably more junior anglers now, um, in my experience. Have, have they all gone, let's upset a few people, have they all gone to the dark side? Um, and now fishing not, with, with multiple rods and catching fish when they're asleep? Not necessarily. I mean, the ones I used to fish against, so I always consider myself the last of, like, the, the, the bunch in a way, like, <laughs> the Brady bunch in a way. Yeah. Um, so... I was one of the youngest fishing, obviously, the competitions. And a lot of them either just don't fish anymore. Um, a lot of them are, are still fishing now. Like, like Sir Christian Jones, for example, someone I you know used yeah. to travel with a lot and we used to do a lot of competition together. Like, he's on another level now. He's unbelievable angler. Um, and people like that, you know, who were a couple of years ahead of me, um, but they're still going. Whereas there's some people that... Um, just don't fish anymore throughout which is their own choice really you know they, they fished it during the junior side and just didn't really want to carry it on but I suppose I kind of agree with you there's a lot more juniors coming in now but there's less are out there really to, there's, there's a few places coming in um, trying to bring in, in stuff like I know I work with a um, an academy called Motouse Angling Academy they have like a series of junior matches um, to kind of bring up and, and coach um, juniors and ladies um, mm. to bring them to a decent level where they, they can then go on to like open matches and start hitting circuits and things like that and I know there's a couple more uh, around our way and a couple of other places like Rami and Le Ospreys and people like that but there doesn't seem to be the big emphasis on like the junior leagues and like like I used to fish when I was younger they just don't seem to be there I don't know why they just they're just not there but with the amount of juniors there are then it kind of you know it's a much more cost effective way of, of, of match angling too because for you to go into an open match or for anybody to go into an open match you're looking at probably by the time you've bought bait and and um, and had one of those famous fishery breakfast baps it's um it's it's a 50 quid day isn't it at least because i mean yeah you think about the prices of fuel now cost of living's going up i mean yeah it's at least 56 to compete and i'm being with framing and getting some money back yeah it's at least 50 60 quid mm. at which least. makes it hard to get money back when you know you're f when half of probably half of the or at least a third of what you pay to enter the match now it would be sort of a day ticket stroke pegging fee wouldn't it because the price of commercial fisheries i mean when, when you fished on the canal you could buy a canal day ticket for one pound fifty maybe yeah. two quid you know now they're five or six quid usually and and commercial fisheries that were five or six quid then you're now i mean some of the places down around the country not just down here where i live where it's you know the affluent south where there aren't that many commercial fisheries <laughs> close to me to be honest uh, but those that are you know you're looking at upwards of a tenner um for a day to go although some of them do keep the price down for matches and then you can't fish on afterwards so which mm. which is fair enough you 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 book your peg for five hours and that's it but yeah you it, it's so if you're paying 25 quid to enter a match which is quite not that much 
at least half well almost half of it is taken out to pay a day ticket which you quite understand but it doesn't give you as much chance to win loads of money and it, so it's diluted down amongst the sections it's really difficult and and i, I can understand now we, we youngsters especially getting into match fishing is going to be more difficult without the leagues that you mention yeah and i mean a lot like when i was younger i used to use opens as a massive like learning curve so yeah. i'd compete against better anglers than me to make myself better but nowadays it's just not as viable because it's so you'd lose out so much um trying to learn that it would almost be worth putting the money into say a coaching day with one of the top anglers and learning that way it's exactly. it is really crazy and it, i don't think it helps with fisheries trying to spread the money out too much as well and i mean i don't blame them for this because obviously they're trying to make sure um people try and win something back but it's sometimes not enough I, i'm not calling for massive matches i'm just talking you know say if you ent- you pay 23 quid to enter you're not getting like 30 quid back for winning a section yeah it's it's yeah. it's it's not yeah. enough to cover days and it's it's making no. it more expensive yeah and and you when you you know i used to have a, a format for um when i used to run the occasional match i live quite close to the river I used to run the occasional match down on the thames here or on the canal where it runs through london and, and at my rule was you got twice your entry fee back for winning your section the person who was last in the money had to get more than that and mm-hmm. I divided the money up in, in, in quite a, it sounds complicated equation but it isn't that much um, mm-hmm. you decided how many people you were going to pay let's make it nice and easy and say three so you had one share two shares three shares so you divided the money up by six the winner got three shares second got two shares third got one share and, and it, it worked out pretty well and everybody went away happy but you, you can't really do that now because paying twice your entry fee back for winning a section, so if you paid 25 quid to enter, paying 50 quid for a section, the winner in a match is going to get about 25 quid. <laughs> exactly, yeah, it, it's yeah. Like, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. And people who try yeah. to like make, well, not make money, but make a living, almost try and make a career out of fishing, it's just not viable anymore. It, it's, it's so hard to do. It really you, is. You need to be employed to be an angler don't you either self-employed and have very very uh, plentiful number of coaching days and some of the best anglers do have that i know um Mm. or be paid as a a consultant and be a proper consultant not just someone that wears the t-shirt and you know carries the bait boxes around but actually put something back into the into the companies and there's not many of those when you think about it there you know when you back in the day you could count them on fingers of one hand it's a bit more than that now you'd need need a few people's hands to count them on mm. but it's still not not an easy living not an easy way to get a living i'm sure i mean it wasn't that no. long ago their ship was driving forklift trucks still you know i know that's what i mean and and now it's it's such a completely different game to how it was yeah. five even seven years ago it's yeah. it is crazy just going back to uh to your dad and, and and him taking you fishing he 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 was and probably still is i don't know we're going to find out in a minute very very <laughs> dedicated to your angling career he, he, he must have run up some miles jeez yeah he did we worked it out once that i think we used to do like when i was proper tr- like touring the country doing the winter stuff and all that um i think we did like ten thousand miles a year at least it was insane and to be and i mean i don't do much winter fishing anymore because <laughs> call me a butterfly angler I don't care it just doesn't like interest me going out in the wind and the snow and the rain like no thank you I will go out when it's half decent weather 
um, and I will enjoy my days fishing. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> but, that, ta- that takes you out of a lot of the team events, though, doesn't it? Because you know, winter leagues are still a very, very big thing. And, of course, we started to get people to carry on fishing through the winter. You know, it does. My, yeah. my mate Dickie Carr used to call winter, most winter leagues disenjoyable because it was it was hard to enjoy sitting there and sometimes on the Thames down you'd be fishing for one bite on the canal through London when it went clear in the winter it was you know there'd be five pegs would be full of fish and the rest of them you were looking a sing, a single perch where chop worm fishing starts I mean you couldn't catch fish on blood worm but you got a lobworm and cut it into many 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 pieces and put five of those pieces in and a half an inch of, of a red worm on the hook jig it up and down you might catch a perch you might catch two or three you could had four we weighed in four ounces you had plenty of points for your team i, mm. I remember defiant once coming up with a way of catching sticklebacks and one bloke weighed in one pound one and a half honestly boat called kenny carl he weighed in one pound one and a half he had a perch about three inches long and all the rest were sticklebacks Wow. And it was it was a bit of a fiddle because they were only using one hook, but they were lassoing several worms up the line. Okay. So the sticklebacks would bite the worm, swallow it, and then you'd lift, you'd lift them out very carefully, dunk them over your keep net and shake it, and they'd all fall off. <laughs> and that's how he did it. He had like, you, you imagine, like, um, I don't know, a, a three-pint bait box full of sticklebacks at the end of the match they weren't in a bait box obviously mm. but that's how many they, there were thousands oh. of the damn things but anyway that's yeah but that's back to back to the, the, the subject winter leagues were to get you fishing through the winter so you had a practice match the week before i didn't often go on but there'd be somewhere else to go <laughs> a practice match the week before and then the winter league itself oh i don't see the point in going at practice to catch one fish i don't have any problems you know I either catch them or I don't <laughs> sitting by the river for five hours not getting a bite isn't going to make me get a bite the next week that's for sure no. so uh, yeah that, that's a shame really because in, uh, I know the winter leagues again they've they've evolved into something different and now many fisheries have their own winters what well, was your local, your local so um, my local is um 10 minutes away from me so it's Lingmere fishery um oh, yeah. owned by uh, Steve Openshaw who's a quite a big name on the northwest circuit yeah. brilliant angler he's actually he's in the fisher final i know he's, he's quite a big name on the national circuit he's well he was very yeah, close I'm, a couple of years ago and yeah yeah and i'm doing him a bit of a disservice there by saying he's just on the the northern but yeah he's he's very well known um mm. great fishery they don't actually run a winter league um they tried to a few years ago um but it just didn't have the uptake but I mean, I'm talking winter leagues and commercials. I mean, if we had them on canals and things, it wouldn't be too bad. Um, but there's just not many, like, proper canals. Like, prop- when I talk proper canals, I'm talking, like, the Stainforth and Keyby and places like that, where the fishing is brilliant during the winter. I've, I've fi- I'd, I'd happily fish during the winter if the fishing was always going to be like that. Yeah. But a lot of the places down by us, they're, like, shallow really smooth like slow running rivers or really just like short canals and we just don't have the kind of natural fishing up our way where we do like in the midlands and like the south yeah, but and commercials canals and the fins have got the drains and exactly yeah. yeah and commercials in the winter are notorious for balling up and you could sit there next peg to someone and they could have like 60 70 pounds because all the fish are in their swim not because you've done anything wrong just because that's where the fish want to be and you could be literally next peg and not have a bite and then it's it's one of them where like I 
I'd, I'd probably fill in for a winter league, but I wouldn't commit to one purely based on like weather. And it's like I've, I've said this to a lot of people, and it's you can't tell me you go out in so, the, the, the snow and the cold rain and the cold weather, sit and catch ten pound of fish in on a commercial and be happy with that day's fishing. Like no. you can't tell me that to my face. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, you, you can look at it in in hindsight and think. I enjoyed that for various reasons. Mm. I, I used to go in the winter to Willinghurst Fishery, which isn't far from here. And as you say, the fish would ball up. And you just mm. hoped that that little band of wanderers that wandered around the lake, that you would try and see when they were in your swim, if they, you hoped they turned up before sort of 20 to 3. So you might catch one or two um, bef- before the match ended. Gold Valley was a bit similar to that. The fish balled up and, and, and you couldn't feed them. So I've always thought the match angler's greatest skill is feeding to catch the right amount of fish. But, I mean, I won 800 quid over three matches at Gold Valley. I, won, I can't remember if I won two and was second in one or won one and was second in two on one small can of corn. I took every other boat with me, but I used, well, I didn't use it all. I used, I took one small can of corn, opened it on the first match, put it in a plastic bag, put it in the freezer, used a dozen grains on the next match, put it back in the freezer, used a dozen grains on the next match. And I had sort of 60 or 70 pound, but Mm. you couldn't, I was pretending to feed. I was, you know, putting nothing in my catapult and firing it out so people thought I was feeding, hoping they would feed, which was the worst thing you could do. That was, mm. I can't, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what year it was. It was the year that Jimmy Bullard started fishing gold when he came down uh, from, moved from Wigan to Fulham. And um, I introduced him to gold and told him what I was doing and he won the first match he fished. <laughs> he's back, he's oh, a lot legend. better than that now. So back, back, <laughs> to, back to your dad. Um, yep. Did he used to fish the matches as well or was he Sarah's taxi? He um he he used to fish matches back in the like I don't know the medieval era or something when he was when he was younger. But yeah, um, when I was in my fifties, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't say a word. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you did. Uh, but but um no, when I was fishing the matches, he 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 actually got a name for himself. So if people people didn't actually know his name, he only knew him as Sarah's dad. Um, it's only the last, say, five years or so he's actually been known as Paul. Yeah. <laughs> Other than that, he was just known as my dad. He wasn't actually known as anything else. Um, so, yeah, he was pretty much just my taxi and my my, uh, my tackle caddy when I wasn't um, yeah. when I wasn't as strong. But, yeah, he, um, a lot's changed since then. So, he, well, he's still, he's still my dad and he still drives me everywhere, but he doesn't carry as much gear as, as he used to. So that's about all that's changed. So you're, so you're not driving yourself yet? Not at the minute, no. Not yet. I, I will do eventually. I mean, you're not the you're not the first person to have asked me this. But yeah, I will do eventually. But I don't at the minute. That's another big problem as well because I, I've always driven. I've always, as soon as I could drive, I drove. Um, and and when sort of drink driving regulations come in, I didn't ever want to take a chance, so I basically stopped drinking because. I, and I wasn't. Mm. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't a drinker. I didn't go out and get boozed up, but if having two pints on a, a Saturday night was going to put me at any kind of risk at six o'clock on a Sunday morning, then I wasn't going to do it because I just, yeah. I, I so enjoy being master of my own destiny. Maybe it's a bit of a control mm. thing, but if I want to go somewhere, I'm going to go there and I'm going to take myself. 
Whereas if somebody yeah. else says, I don't fancy going there and I've got to go where they want to go, that would uh, mm. that would drive me bonkers. But yes, so <laughs> now get your get your lessons behind you, young lady. You've got some <laughs> to do some catching up. <laughs> how, um, how difficult... What about mixing fishing in with your education? Right, how, yeah, how so... That, was that difficult? It, it was difficult in the way that I couldn't spend the time on the bank that I could, um, or that I wanted to, should I say, that other people were. Um, so... Uh, you know, I I was I was lucky enough that obviously you know I'm sponsored by Maver UK, um, and I was lucky enough that they supported me through all my education. So when I did my GCS, because I, I they first sponsored me in 2014 when I was 13, so they were with me during my GCSEs, my A levels, and then all the way through uni as well. And obviously now I'm working for them as well. It's it's uh, it's incredible, but. Yeah, I mean, that kind of support when I was in education was brilliant because it meant that, you know, I, I could still try and get my name out there, um, even though I wasn't necessarily on the bank as much, you know, as, as other people because I was tied up either doing homework or as I got on revision and assessments and then coursework and then when it got to uni, dissertations and final projects and all sorts, like... Yeah, um, I, I was very grateful for all that support from the brands um, and Dy I'm shout out Dynamite Baits as well, you know, my bait sponsor as well for also keeping me on. But yeah, I mean, like, like you said, the difficult part was pretty much just trying to get that time on the bank because that is a massive factor. People who spend more time on the bank definitely have better results because they're more in tune with the fish and that's education just tied me up a bit too much really. I'm glad you said that rather than people that spend hours every night tying hooks because that was something I didn't ever do. No, it doesn't work. I've tried it. <laughs> <laughs> brought, brought up as a river angler, um, as I was, um, I would get to my peg, put a float on, plumb the depth and then decide how I was going to shot it. Not get to my peg, put a rig on, find out the depth and adjust the rig to suit, if you know. And even now, if mm. I go to a new venue, I will make up rigs on the morning to fish it if I've never been there before I mean I, I, that's not something I don't go to many new venues now and I don't fish many matches anymore <laughs> but when I did that was what I used to do when I went to Gold Valley regularly it was great because I had three winders I had a middle lake winder a syndicate lake winder and a gold lake winder and there were three rigs on each winder so I just got my three top kits out clipped one on the first rig oh that's my shallow rig that's good clipped, oh that's my strung out rig that's good and got, oh that's my bottom rig that's good and, and yeah that's what I did three rigs honestly See my my twelve my twelve top kit on my uh, on my roost is really like screaming right now. <laughs> well, it's different now because in, in these, these days at gold it's probably like that as well. But when I went, you had a shallow rig, a deep rig, and a and a, and a an on the drop or a a, a deep mm. shallow rig because it wasn't. I'm not going to say it wasn't as complex because it was just as complex. But I guess it wasn't as intricate, maybe. I. I didn't have people to copy as much mm. as much then. Don't, don't forget, I'm going back now 25 years. Mm. 25, 20, yeah, 20, 20 to 25 years. And although I had plenty of top kits, you know, I worked for Diver until 1995, and any time we had anything come out of the service department that was faulty, 
the service manager would send it to me. So I had like a <laughs> that many top kits, you know, I had a big load of them. But I only, yeah. why would I want to make up more than three? There are only three methods to fish there at the time. But now you've got so many different methods. You know, you've got mm. from everything from, I mean, not on many fisheries, but you've got everything now from floating baits to baits hard on the bottom and various baits. You know, be fishing pellets, paste, maggots, ground bait, all different kinds of things. So you, you probably need maybe four. <laughs> so yeah, you, you, yeah you'd, four. You'd, you'd normally set up like a dozen. How many of those would be repeats? Um, not many. Uh, so eight of them would be shallow kits. Obviously, if I'm fishing a commercial where shallow fishing is prominent, eight of those would be um, shallow rigs. Um, well, saying that, I've probably whittled it down to how many have I got now? Six, six, six to eight top kits would be sh- would be shallow fishing. So obviously mm. nothing, nothing on the deck. And then I'd have another four for deck rigs. So if I was fishing a snake lake, which is very common up our way, be like across, down the track, down your edges, and then like maybe another one if uh, you need to push up tight and it's a bit shallower or like your edges are a different um, like depth or, you know, just like a spare rig. But yeah, a lot, I mean, a lot of the time I've got spares tied up ready to go. So if I do snap Mm. off, um, I can just quickly put one back on and I'm, I'm back ready to fish but in a, in a big match such as fish show for example I probably have like multiple rigs set up um, just so I can quickly you know waste no time and, and get going again so what did, subjects did you specialise in at school so we'll go we'll go to A level because that's probably where I started to specialise a lot so I did what did I do English language I did film studies um, I did. Oh, what was my other one? Oh no, film studies, English language, geography, which I only took as an AS level because I was no good at geography, as everyone knows. Mm. And religious studies. Now I'm not religious. I just liked the like argument debating kind of side of things. Yep. It was quite. In, it was. It was just interesting to me. Like I'm not. I'm not religious in any way, shape, or form. Um, but I just really liked the, the debating side, and it was perfect for what I wanted to do for my degree as well so uni I did uh, journalism uh, with a third year specialist of PR and was that handy for was that something you did maybe to um, become a career yeah so um, I've I've always really liked writing um, and doing things like that I was definitely more towards the print side of journalism rather than say the broadcast I mean I liked being behind the camera and doing podcasts such as this and on things like that um but i was never really good like on camera as such like i, I was always better working the technology rather than on camera i mean don't get me wrong I, d- I don't mind being on camera and i don't mind doing things like that but my i i, I was better doing obviously behind the camera but um but yeah career-wise I, I i really want to work in the fishing industry but i also really don't want to work journalism and funnily enough my job now incorporates both so it's great but that's not much to do with fishing is it so so (laughs) now work work your way through um education what's your normal match circuit now where do you go fishing weekends oh weekends if i'm not doing qualifiers i'm on the local circuit so i'll be at lingmere because like i said it's 10 minutes from my house wake up at eight o'clock job done um and or I'll be at somewhere like Western Pools, Partridge Lakes. They're about an hour away from me. Um, un- unfortunately, where I live, I'm like really away from everywhere. So I've got to like travel a bit before I even get 
to get to anywhere <laughs> rather than just like just get out and then like 20 minutes down the road it's it's a bit of a pain but it is what it is I know that feeling myself what qualifiers are you doing what, what events are you, are you entering so I did have eight eight ticket eight qualifying tickets for Fishermania um, I've just drawn poorly on them all uh, to the point where people were like wishing me to have a good draw because I've drawn that badly <laughs> um and then obviously the ladies national happened and I had a half decent draw there and managed to win it but I've also had a couple of tickets for match this and I've got a couple more coming up I think one at west and oh, well, might have one more at western pools coming up I think that's the last one I've got um but yeah it's just been it's been one of those like tough runs this year like it's first year I've really been able to sit down and and really schedule in the qualifiers um obviously around my work and things um, but yeah, it's 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 been tough. I'll be honest. It's been like mentally challenging in a way, and people wouldn't necessarily think so. But when you're like drawing just horrendously, and you're not even getting like a good dose fishing because it's it's you're just trying everything and you can't get anything to work. It's it's it is draining mentally draining. People can't see me nodding in agreement, but I've been that soldier plenty of times. You know, and and draw a bad peg, and, and I did this four or five times when I was fishing regularly at Gull Valley I'd draw a bad peg and then draw it twice more on the trot I've done that I've uh, done that oh, oh. it's so it's, annoying and I know what it is it's, it's all this mind over matter thing all this kinetic energy you're going into the into the draw bag thinking <laughs> don't draw that number instead of draw that number and you mm. go and, you, and you, you, know, you pick up two tickets and you shuffle your fingers so one of them drops out and it's the wrong one and, and the next person that goes in draws a ticket you've probably dropped and it's bung hole it does drive you absolutely crazy I, I know it how, is. How, do you fish any of the um, the spe- like the any of the feeder events at all are you into your feeder fishing or do you prefer pole I'll be honest feeder fishing's not something that's very commonplace around our way so it's not something that I'm I would say um, listen I mean I can fish feeder for F1s I'm not trying to say I'm not good at it but it's not I haven't got it knack to the likes of Nick Speed and things like that who have just got it down to an absolute T or the likes of Andy Kinder who's just phenomenal on it. Because um, obviously a lot of what they do is is feeder fishing and they have the venues to do that. Whereas a lot of it for us is either snake lakes or if there is a chuck, it's only like a 30 metre chuck, if that, you know, just to a far yeah. island where you're catching F1s and things. And Yeah, I mean, I have, I have given it a thought, I'll be honest. It's not something I haven't... I haven't completely dismissed in my mind of, oh, I'm never going to go for it, because I do like feeder fishing. Um, it's, comp- it's obviously a, a lot of it, a very different... Um, very different... What's the word I'm after? Like, technique? That's technique. The word I'm after. Yeah. yeah. To, um, like, F1 fishing. Mm. Like, on a pole or, like, you know, shellfish and things like that. Um but yeah, it's something I've get, I've given a thought about, but I don't know if it's something I'm going to chase as of yet. But like I say, I'm not never saying never because it is something I I do want to look into about potentially giving it a shot, the odd couple one. You mentioned our joint mate there, Andy Kinder. I mean, what a smashing bloke he is, and how lucky oh, do you think legend. you've been to be part of his Maver or part of the Maver team that he's also part of a very very big part. I can't express into words how absolutely grateful I am for any kind of help that Maver have given me over the years it is it I still wake up every single day and I like I'm not just saying this I genuinely think like I am one of the luckiest human beings on the planet because 
the opportunities they have given me, the support they have offered, it's it's something that a lot of people just dream of and it's something that I get. I mean, I've been with Maver what, eight years now, coming up nine years next year and it's 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 unbelievable that they've kept me on for that long. Like I, I, I'm constantly counting my blessings that they give me the support and they're willing to keep me on and working with the likes of Andy Kinder and Callum Dakes and oh, it's it's phenomenal. I mean, Andy was one of the the sole reasons why I managed to get into Maver. I mean, he put a word in for me and and uh, I didn't ask him to. He just did. He he saw me one day and put a word in. And yeah, it's, look where I am now. He ends up being a banker on a 2020 fish show, and yeah, it's it's surreal. It really is surreal. He's going to be on the bank for you this time. No, he's not. I've actually got um, <laughs> this is like my fourth different bank runner in four finals. I've got um, a local guy to us. His name's Dave Woodworth. Um, he fishes Lingmere a lot, and he's good on F1. So I, I wanted someone who. Um, he could possibly offer me that bit of advice. He's been in Fisher finals himself, so he knows all about it and all that. So, yeah, I think it will be quite a good team. Mm. And although they're huge, especially here, but especially on the continent in Italy, it's more than anywhere, Maver are very much a family business, aren't they? And that must be, that must give some kind of, of credence to, to where they, how long they've been with you and how long you've been with them. Yeah, I mean, so... For anyone who doesn't know, they're owned by an Italian family. Um, so, yeah, Maver is an Italian brand. Obviously, the Maver UK is the UK branch of it. But, um, yeah, I mean, the whole... I mean, I've, I've, I've seen Maver change throughout the years. Um, you know, I've seen it grow and grow on the UK market as well as the Italian one. And the team I'm working with now is, is unbelievable. I mean, Sarah Phoenix is a brilliant MD... Um, shout out to Stephen Bellion as well who's come on as a who is now a director and is just so good to work under um, and yeah the rest of the team I mean there's so many of them to mention that I'm, I'll, I'll feel bad if I, if I don't mention someone so I'm not going to mention any more names but yeah the the team is, is just brilliant to work with and you do really get that like family dynamic that obviously started the whole um, company as it was so yeah it's it's really it's really nice to work with that company my, my first mm. ever I suppose you call it proper pole was a Maver pole and it was in the very early 1980s and it was 11 metres almost impossible to hold at 11 metres um, it was like a banana it came in <laughs> it was so thick and the, the taper was so small it came in five separate bits so the 11 meter pole was actually five tubes with other bits inside um, it came in oh, its wow. own roll up carry case and and the the, the big longest joint was only a meter long <clears throat> and um God, I had some fun with that it was as i say it, it, it was very very it was about 300 quid as well it certainly wasn't cheap and i remember once fishing mm. winter league on the lee and it was a really tough day the river was up, coloured, cold and horrible. And I had to fish 11 metres to get a bite. And I was catching little Tommy Ruff on a bloodworm and pinky. And because I couldn't ship the pole back, because I couldn't take it apart, it was too thick, I was lifting these rough out at 11 metres, spinning round on my box, dropping them in a puddle on the bank, running up the bank, hunnocking them and coming back and taking it and putting them into my net. Things have changed, well, haven't they? 
Yeah, yeah, so much. I mean, <laughs> the, 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 I mean, you're not even joking about them changing. I mean, oh man, they're unreal now. The poles are unreal now. I remember when they came they up really with the, the the first really ridiculously expensive pole some years ago. Was it eight grand? I think back probably before yeah, you were, something you were like even that. with them. But they, they came up with this pole that was eight grand, and everyone mm. was like, "Wow!" And, and it wasn't like with. 20 top kits and loads of dolly butts and, and that kind of stuff it was eight grand for i think it was i think it was 13 might have been 14 and a half meters but it was it was a load of money and i suppose that was what it cost to produce yeah i mean i, I it, it was way before well i don't say way before but it was before i was with them so i don't remember yeah. it being out when i was with them but i've definitely heard about it obviously from like you know talking to people who were around in that time and yeah eight grand for a pole is a lot <laughs> <laughs> do you like f1 fishing yeah i love it i think i think i think it's one of like the most complicated yet simple styles of fishing if that makes any sense well, it it's, makes every sense it's it's complicated to get your head round but as soon as as soon as you understand how f1s feed how they react and how to catch them i think it it seems so simple and, and a lot of it is common it sense yeah. yeah and a lot of it is common sense as well i think but it, it's it's that it's it can be a bit fiddly to learn but like i say once you get your head around it and you fish a lot and like like you said before it was absolutely perfect of F1s will feed the same wherever they are. F1s are F1s. They're not... Just because they're in a different lake doesn't mean they change their habit of feeding or anything like that. They're F1s. So they're going to feed very similar. And, and so. they're all bred in an artificial environment, which is Pretty much. where they get it all from, I suppose. They all start in a tank and then go into a into a bigger tank and then go into a pond and then they're put into a fishery. It's, it's yeah. n- There's not going to be any wild ones. Or no. There probably are, but not, they're going to be second generation again. They're not going to be F1 breeding with F1s, yeah. No, I do know of um, some places who've never stocked F1s and then suddenly had F1s, and it's like because you stocked carp and crucians together, so they were like that mix, not the brown goldfish oh, yeah. mix. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of people wonder, oh, why pellets work so well for F1s? Well, if they're bred in... Um, I don't want to say captivity, because that's not, like, the right word, but it's a similar style of, you know, they're, they're bred artificially they're in a way. Yeah, exactly. They're farmed, they're farmed, so that they're farmed and they're fed on pellets. So that's why a lot of the time when people fish pellets for stockfish, they'll catch well on pellets. Yeah, I was watching um, a lad there the other day fishing. Mark Pollard was was um, guiding him or, or was coaching him on the day, hmm. and I went and stood behind him and he was feeding and feeding. And when he fed, uh, you you couldn't exactly see the fish. But every time he threw in some bait, the water changed colour in front of him and actually (laughs) rose in a hump. There were so many fish there. It sounds stupid, I know, but I'll swear the water was three inches higher, half a metre either side in front of him than it was half a metre either side of his float. And, And he was getting a gazillion bites, just his float was never still. And they weren't, mm. most of them, most of them weren't bites. And it was identifying the bites, or in, identifying, not necessarily identifying the bites, identifying how to how, hook the fish was his biggest problem. How do you know they weren't bites? Because I used to fish for dace on the Thames. 
I can tell you now, I can guarantee you, more of those things that you thought were liners, they were probably biting F ones. Oh no, no, I I, I know. But when I used to fish the Thames for Dace, it sounds crazy. But anybody that could catch Dace out the Thames is going to be a really good F1 angler, even though they're going to be old. Oh yeah. Because I mean, I I, I sat. I'll I'll give you an example. Um, I once I fished a match at Molesy one day. Um, and I was catching all right. It wasn't a big weight. Well, it's not a big weight. I think I had, I think it might have had, might just have scraped 20 pounds a day. And most people used to fish shallow from, and I didn't. But that's that's a different story. I used to feed in a certain way to get where I wanted. And this bloke yeah. stood behind me for the last 45 minutes of the match. He said, I don't know what to say, Keith, but in the last 45 minutes, you've missed over 200 bites you haven't struck at. And every time you've struck, I've not seen a bite. And when... When you f- and this was fishing with maggots, and yeah. you could watch the float go under, fishing a waggler, fishing four rod lengths out with a waggler, as far as you could catapult maggots usually, or or I used to use the throwing stick and feed casters and them, and and the float would go under, and the line would follow it, and you could leave it, and it'd pop up again, and you wind in the maggot wouldn't be marked, but every so often you'd run the float through, and you'd come in and your maggot would be munched, or your caster would be shelled, so you started looking for those bites and it was like mm. adding a number 11 to a waggler or like taking a number 11 off a waggler or the float would there's not much flow as there was but the float would slow down slightly and that was a fish and once you got yeah. in tune with it you, you your brain didn't you you didn't say to your arm strike your brain struck before you realized it was a bite and, and that's yeah. how tuned in you got. And I think people like Bennett are, are tuned in like that. I think he's wired like that. I think Jamie mm. is probably wired like that in a different way. That, and, and, and that made me feel that what I was seeing yesterday, I was fishing with a bit of hemp yesterday at the local Gelkson fishing charity ponds. And, and I just went out with a, 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 literally a handful of hemp and a handful of tears. And I fished for, I left the, the classroom at 12.58 and I had an alarm set off for four o'clock because I had to come home and I had 60 fish in that time and I missed a load of bites but they weren't bites they Mm. the float would disappear right it'd go two foot under and it wasn't a bite and the others it would just dip and and that's that's why I said a lot of them weren't bites not necessarily liners because I'll tell you what I used to think used to happen with a dace and I'm going to show you this now with two pens which nobody will see (laughs) I think because this guy was this guy was feeding maggots yeah and I think the fish come into the swim and they take a load of maggots in their mouths like that. Mm. So they take wow. the, the thin, the thin end so of the what, maggot in their are, mouth. People are missing out here. <laughs> yeah, and they swim away. And as they swim away, the float goes under. You strike, and you pull a maggot out of their mouth. Mm-hmm. Now, to you know, to smash a maggot, a fish has got to have the bait down here, and it's and it's pharynx it, where, where we've got pharynx and it's pharyngeal teeth. That's the only offeringual, whichever way you want to say. It. That's the only way they're going to burst a maggot. So when you, you get a burst maggot, you've missed a bite. If you don't get a burst maggot, I don't think you've had a proper bite off anything other than a perch. And and mm. this bloke, if they were bites, he wasn't missing them because as the float was going under, his pole was coming up and there wasn't a fish there. So I, 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 didn't, I wasn't going to tell him what to do because he was being coached by Mark Pollard. So I asked Mark <laughs> Pollard a question that told him what he was doing and um, yeah. he, 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 he didn't miss so many after that but he, he, he just basically stopped striking <laughs> yeah. well, there but you go. it's going to be interesting so you're, you're as, I, as I mentioned at the very start that fishermania for most match anglers is the pinnacle 
of the domestic match circuit. Have you got any mm. international ambitions? Have you been involved in any of the international setups? Um, yeah, this is opening a can of worms now. Uh, so, I did trial for um, the England stuff, uh, but mm. after about 2016, I said never again. What's the reason for that? Oh, days. Uh, okay, if we're going to go down that route, no, we'll you, go down you, that you route. You don't, you, no, you don't, have, you don't have to compromise anybody. You don't have to compromise yourself. No, Whether it's all right. No, it's all right. I wasn't going to. I wasn't going to mention any names, so I'll keep it all that right. way. Um, but basically, I trialed for the under twenties. Um, got told that um, I was too young, and the person that went ahead of me was the same age as me. Um, didn't didn't really think much of it and again nothing against the guy who was picked good friend of mine it's all good um, they're not gender they're not ge- they're, can I just say they're not gender specific these are so there's no under 20 ladies no they're no it's just under 20s yes. yeah just under 20s um, two weeks later I see the manager um, at another fishery and they try telling me um why I caught more and this, that, and the other, blah, blah, blah. And I basically tell them, because we were at, um, oh no, if I tell her who it is, it's going to give it away. But um, we, were, we were fishing on, on a, a lake where you wouldn't traditionally use the methods that we were tasked to use, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and he basically started trying to tell me, like, you started catching bigger stamp because you did this. I'm like, no, it's because I figured this out, I figured this out, I figured this out. And basically told them everything that I'd figured out. Um, after I said all that, he turned to my dad and went, well, it's hard for me to pick a girl. It makes it more difficult because they've got to get an extra room. And I went, That's that, see you then. That was exactly what I was going to say. I, I was. That's exactly what I was going to say. You can understand the situation because it's going to cost them a lot more to pick one girl. If I pick two girls, mm. it's not so much of a problem. But th- there is... There's also, you know, even even anglers. There's a code of ethics, and I know where you, where you, the venues you go to, you are an angler. You're not a girl. You're not a bloke. You're an angler, like we all are. And the mm. the normal the normal banter will go ahead. And if you can't stand the heat, you don't go into the kitchen. And I know you can stand the heat, like like the girls that have gone before you can stand the heat. So I know that wouldn't yeah. be a problem. But when when you've got a budget and you've got to share rooms because but that's what the budget is but you should be told that at the start but we'd we'd said we'd said two weeks prior like at the trial we'd said that any extra cost we were willing to cover it because you're fishing yeah. for your country why wouldn't you yeah. do you know what i mean yeah. it's the biggest thing you can do in the in the england so yeah i wasn't that was the end of it for me i couldn't i couldn't be doing with that anymore because that was just what? a joke i mean why am i getting told that i can't fish for my country just because i'm female when i was willing to cover the extra yeah. costs anyway and i'd yeah. said and, that and you would you wouldn't have been the first either. No, I wasn't. You wouldn't have been the first. Not the, you wouldn't have been the first person to be picked for England youth team as a female. Hmm. So, but anyway, but anyway. That's, so, uh, that, that's a shame. <laughs> that's what a kind of worms. What, yeah. So, what about the ladies team? Have you got any ambitions there? Uh, uh no. Right. Fair enough. <laughs> Just leave I, it at that. I wouldn't yeah, go any further that. with that. No, I'm, <laughs> you know and, and although I was probably never good enough I had exactly the same feeling as well, probably for a different reason I had exactly the same feeling as you because when uh, my name was being 
touted in those circles um, I knew that when I got to the event the thing that I was being picked for my ability the abilities and, and the way that I used to win my matches wouldn't have been relevant on the match itself because the way the pegging's done the way the pegs are the way the styles of fishing are you know I, I was I only fished lakes when rivers were flooded and canals were frozen you know I, I would fish rivers first and if they were unfishable I'd go on a canal and if the canal was nasty or I didn't fancy it and there was a lake but I, I probably didn't fish 10 matches on still waters before I was 50 mm. because I hated the damn things I really you know you've got to draw a bunghole you've got to throw in 10 kilos of ground bait and try and catch some bream and that's what lake yeah. fishing was in those days and I didn't like I didn't like the fens bream fishing much I'd go on fens bream matches and fish for roach and try them in my section because that's the kind of fishing I enjoyed so what I didn't want to do was try to get in a team that when I got in the team I wouldn't be happy with how I was going to be going to have to fish so that's why I didn't go and, and there was a trial um, that I didn't go to and I told to be fair I let people know why I wasn't going it was many years ago it's quite local to where I was living at the time the trial but I wasn't going to go and um, and that's the reason much as I would love to have fished for England and if there was a world championship fished at Medley I'd have been first in the queue to get my Wagner and Gallon <laughs> and Maggots out even though it probably wouldn't have worked on the day or you know Burton Joyce I'm, and although I'm, I'm, I'm a long way from the Trent I, I had a pretty good record on the Trent who's loved fishing the Trent I didn't like logging but I liked all the other bits and I, I would have, have, have loved to be there I'd love to test myself under that pressure I enjoyed nationals and things what about nationals do you do you fish nationals or are you concentrated have you concentrated just on the ladies national um no I, I used to fish the junior nationals obviously um mm. I used to fish it a lot so when I moved on from the Cheshire that I was on about earlier on in the podcast um, I moved to uh, Matrix Tameside. I got invited into that, which was, oh, yeah. at the time, this was like 2012, 2013, was like we were considered the Barcelona of junior fishing, where it was, we were invite only, and it was like the the creme de la creme of, of junior anglers, basically. Uh, I don't want to like toot my own horn, but I'm just trying to describe the thing. No, um, I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I got involved with that, and yeah, we were... <sighs> Again, don't want to come off big header, but we were tearing up the circuit. It was like one year, I think it was 2014, we won gold in every junior circuit and junior nationals and all sorts. It was it was crazy. But then obviously as as we all got older, this was the cadet team, so this would have been the juniors as it's known now. Um, mm. As we all got older, the cadets team obviously then moved all up into the juniors um, well, the youths now it's known. Um, unfortunately, Tameside folded, and Ian Bailey, who was our manager, who I've got a lot to thank for, um, just just didn't want to carry on with it because obviously there was no, there was no new talent coming through, or not enough, should I say, to get a team together. And I don't blame him for like obviously scrapping it. It was a lot. It was a lot to try and do, and I really appreciate the years like he gave us. But yeah, and then obviously I moved on to a few more teams, and then the last two years year or two years I was with Browning Youth um, to fish my last national which was uh, last year at the age of 21 um, could fish the last national 2021 20, anyway I can't remember how old it was 2020 I think I was um, because that's the age limit so yeah fish the junior nationals there 
and uh, ladies national have been fishing since I was 14 they've only recently put that like 16 meter 16 meter 16 year age uh, limit in so um, yeah so I've been doing that since I was 14 and that's for legal reasons because of pools and everything of course because under 16 you're not allowed to go into a pool you're allowed to fish yeah. for sponsored money which is how mm-hmm. there's junior fish show but you're not allowed to um, to enter what's called a simple sweepstake um, no, which is so why you can't well, you can't buy a lottery tickets, same thing. Yeah, so when I was fishing at 14, I wasn't allowed in the pools. It was only when I was two years later, when I was 16, that I could actually go into the pools then. So, um, very near the end now of our, our chat, what's the next step? Um, hopefully, uh, speak to you in a week and a half time and I'll 50 grand in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. Uh, yeah, good. well, that would be lovely. Um, but I mean, no, I mean, I'll whatever happens happens at Fisher Fisher's my well my last big kind of match as such uh, for the year but if we're talking like in the next like next year it's obviously going back on the qualifying circuit um, just trying to get back into finals and do things like that uh, yeah it's, it's, it's very much the same as this year so but hopefully just try and do a bit better next year and draw a bit better <laughs> Get, getting in the top end that's the way to do it be the, uh, getting the prima donna situation that's where you want to be and and what yeah. about career wise you you I mean, i'm not i'm not suggesting you should leave maver or anything like that but but obviously you you've had great ambitions in fishing you must have great ambitions in your career as well um yeah. are you looking to work up the ladder somewhere or do you see yourself in in a different kind of company not necessarily fishing no, I definitely want to stay in the um, the fishing industry. Um, it's something I'm I'm comfortable in. I'm, I I I know about enough, and yeah, it's something that makes me feel like comfortable being in the industry. So yeah, hopefully I'm still working for Mavo. Um, if they want to keep me on, <laughs> please, um, or working for one of the magazines as well, or things like that. And yeah, just anything kind of media related that obviously is in the fishing industry. So we'll see. Well, not not much is not much is going to change between now and the next time I see you. Um, keep enjoying your career, keep enjoying your fishing, and buy yourself a pair of ski techs, and you can fish through the winter. I know, I know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can be bothered going out to catch like two F ones all day. <laughs> oh, come on! You, I'll, we'll I'll use an expression that you've probably heard before, but shouldn't I shouldn't really use. Man up, Sarah. Man up. <laughs> Thanks very much for coming on and having a chat. I hope I've not taken up too much of your time and, and I've not no, bored you not too at much. All. But, uh, not at all. I've enjoyed talking to you as I always do. I, I enjoyed talking to you when you were a youngster. I loved your enthusiasm and confidence then and I love it still now. So thanks very much. And well, thank um, you. I'll be seeing you soon. Yeah, and you. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, it's been an honour to be asked to be on something like this. And I absolutely, you know, I've known you for years and, you know, you, you, I'm still kind of gobsmacked when, uh, when I see you. So, yeah, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Oh, now I'm blushing. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers, Sarah. Cheers, Keith. My thanks to Sarah Taylor for spending an afternoon when she could be tying hooks for a chat with me. And how pleasant it is to talk to such a mature young woman. She's got a bright future for sure. Thanks to you too for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I'll be back soon for another voyage on the Strange Boat podcast, so don't forget to like, share and subscribe so you don't miss out. From me, Keith Arthur, it's cheers for now and tight lines.
Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 